Dr. Charles Golden has spoken for us a number of times, wonderful speaker, pastored a great church in South Carolina. Now he's a professor of theology and practical ministries over at uh, Southeastern University. You're going to enjoy his message tonight, I promise you. Well, it's an honor to be here with you. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Psalms and chapter 34 and also 35. We're just going to look at about a verse in each one of those passages, and I just sincerely appreciate Pastor and Pastor Dan inviting me to come minister. I've pastored 30 years, and then I've been at Southeastern 10 years, and while I I, kind of miss pastoring, I have been an interim pastor three times since I've been here, two of them in Florida, one in Tennessee, I'd fly back and forth. So I, every Wednesday night and every Sunday morning, I feel like I'm missing something, you know, like there's a, uh, I should be doing something. It's an honor to be here with you, and I'm going to ask you to just open your heart up to the Lord today. How many of you know God's got something for you tonight? He really does, something supernatural. There's a realm that is beyond us, and God wants to do a supernatural life for us. And so, Father, I just step back knowing that I'm just a frail piece of dust, but you are not a frail piece of dust. You are from everlasting to everlasting. You are very God a very God. You are the author of what we call the natural realm. You're the author of what we call the supernatural realm. They are just your realms of creation. So, Father, we ask that you step into the dimension of where we live and that you would move on behalf of this congregation and this great people and confirm your word with signs and wonders and divers, miracles, and the gifts of your spirit to your people. And everyone said, amen. Well, tonight I want to speak on the topic of angels as we see them in the book of Psalms. It's interesting that the word angels is used a lot in the Bible. It's used a total of 273 times in the Bible. It's 108 times in the Old Testament, 165 times in the New Testament for a total of approximately 273 times. How many of you think that's a lot? It really is a lot. And in its strictest sense, the word angel means a messenger, a messenger of the Lord. And most of the time, it is used of what we would think of as an angel, as a supernatural being. There are a few occasions, not many, when it is applied to a human. For instance, in the book of Revelation, the pastor of the church is called the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord. And it kind of reminds me, I was teasing my wife, Charlie Pride's song, Kiss an Angel, Good Morning. Just love her like the devil when you get back home, you know. And so it can apply to a human as a messenger of the Lord. And perhaps a couple of times in the Old Testament, maybe even the pre-incarnate Christ, perhaps as the messenger of the Lord. But by and large, it refers to a supernatural being that we would call an angel. Now, I'm not going to try to cover the whole topic of angels. 
I'm just going to look at the book of Psalms because the book of Psalms is a book of honesty. How many of you have ever read that book and realized the psalmists are very honest with God? When they're hurting, they tell God, I'm hurting. When they don't understand God, they say, God, I don't understand you. And they just emotionally pour their heart out to God. They're in prayer, in praise, and when they are confused, they just lay it all out there. And amazingly enough, ten times in that large book, written over a thousand years, it's a thousand years of music, a millennium of music, in that musical theology, ten times the word angel is used. And so, in Psalm 34 and Psalm 35, they're amazing psalms. There are nine psalms that we call alphabetical psalms because they open up with the Hebrew alphabet and just go all the way down through there. And Psalm 34 and Psalm 35 are both alphabetical psalms or acrostic psalms, we call them, most likely written by David, most likely written uh, by design. And it's interesting, of the ten times that the word angel is used in the Old Testament in Psalms, only twice does it say specifically the angel of the Lord. And one of them is in Psalm 34, and the other one is in Psalm 35, and they are used differently. In Psalm 34, it seems to be defense. In Psalm 35, it is offense. And so let's just take a moment. How many of you are alive and well this Wednesday night in August? Can you say amen to that? Amen. Amen. Psalm 34, verse 7, I'm reading out of the New King James translation. It says this, the angel of the Lord encamps, the idea of circling, all around those who fear him and delivers them. It's the idea of defense, of encamping around us to protect us. Now, next door, let's go to Psalm 35, verse 5 and 6, and and he's referring to the enemy, and he says, let them be like chaff before the wind, and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery, and let the angel of the Lord pursue them. How many of you can see that's a little bit more offensive on the part of the angel? And so in the Psalms, certainly one of the ways is offense and another one is defense. As Americans, we watch the Super Bowl or at least a high percent of Americans watch the Super Bowl and there's big discussion pre- game, during the game, and after the game, how was the offense? How was the defense? And whoever wins talks about their defense and their offense, and whoever loses says, I wish we did something different with the offense or the defense. Can you say amen? You notice that. And so, in a similar sense, we have to evaluate that sometimes. God gives us this arsenal for the salvation of our children and our grandchildren and our spiritual dimension in which we live. And we're going to look tonight at the defense and the offense of angels. Now, I want you just to realize that angels, the first time you mention 
an angel in the Old Testament, he is playing defense. He is defending something. God places an angel at the garden to defend the tree of life. Why? Because mankind had fallen, and God did not want them to stay in a perpetual state of that, in a fallen state, and so He defends the tree of life. And they are forbidden to take of that, and so He is in a defensive mode. But if you go all the way to the book of Revelation toward the end of the canon of Scripture, Revelation chapter 20, you see the angel of the Lord playing offense against the enemy. The Bible says the angel, an angel lays hold of Satan and binds him and casts him into a bottomless pit for a thousand years. So I want you to do something with me. From the, take your left hand like you're making a karate chop. This is the beginning of the Old Testament, the canon of Scripture, and say with me, defense. And then with your right hand, another karate chop at the end of the canon of Scripture, offense. And so there's a sense not only in Psalm 34 and 35 that God is laying out in miniature form that the angel of the Lord plays defense for us and plays offense, there is a sense that the canon of Scripture has its opening and its closing discussion along those lines as well. Because God is wanting to get through our simple minds sometimes just the simple truth that He has enormous power that is available to you, much more than you can ever imagine, to play defense with your children to the third and the fourth generation and offense to go against the evil one that would raise his ugly head against your family. Now, having said that, we're going to look now at just those two simple principles. And the first one we're going to look at is defense. Can all of you say defense? And Psalm 104, verse 4, if you want to turn there, if, if the sermon gets boring, you can kind of turn there, but if not, you can turn there regardless. Psalm 104 verse 4 says this, angels are as, can all of you say as, ministering spirits and like, can you use the word like, flaming fire. It's as if the author is trying to do his best to talk about a dimension that he cannot tangibly hold in his hands. I recently have been reading Isaac Newton's biography, and as you know, Isaac Newton lay hold of the principle that we call the law of gravity. Prior to him, Galileo and also Kepler were looking at the planet movements and Kepler's laws and all of that, and, and the scientific community had become awakened to that, and they could see the effects of gravity but they knew something was there, but you cannot hold gravity in your hand. But how many of you know there's gravity? If you don't believe it, go look in the mirror and hold up a picture of yourself 20 years ago. I bind that in Jesus' name, you know, you know or loose it or whatever. We don't, you, you see the ill effects of gravity as our face and many other parts of our body go places we don't want to talk about. And so there are things that we cannot see. I can't see a microwave. 
I can't see the sound wave that comes out of my voice and reaches out to you. I can't see it as it comes off my hand and hits your earlobe. I can't see a television wave, but I have a television. I can't see the radio wave, but I have a radio or that signal that comes into a cell phone. There are myriads of things that we cannot see, and of all generations who should be more supernaturally aware, this generation is without excuse. We know there is a dimension that we cannot see but does indeed exist. And let me assure you that God is the creator of those things, the Scripture says, that are visible, and He is the creator of those things that are invisible as well. And there are indeed angels, and they are powerful indeed. I remember the very first time I ever had an experience with angels, and that occurred my senior year in college here at Southeastern. And I dreamed one night that my grandmother on my matriarchal side had died, and I was standing in front of her house, even though I was asleep in Lakeland, Florida. I was standing in front of her house, which was in Johnson City, Tennessee, and I could see through the house, which was a strange sensation, all the way to the back bedroom where, where her bedroom was, and she died, and an angel was in the dream. He was a powerful, beautiful being, not like what I had ever seen or pictured in my mind. And he took her spirit, and they departed, and I woke up from the dream. It was approximately 1 o'clock in the morning. And I had this overwhelming sense that it was not time for my grandmother to die. My grandmother had been in perfect health, but I knew that the dream was supernatural. So I went into the living room, and I began to pray, and I just prayed earnestly for my grandmother for almost an hour. Approximately 2 o'clock in the morning, I felt a peace that my grandmother was going to be okay. And so the next morning, I called my mother who lived in South Carolina, and I told her of the dream. Naturally, it upset my mother. And so my mother called her sister, Virginia, who lived in Tennessee and lived with her mother, and said, Virginia, Charles had a dream about mother. What is going on with her? She says, well, Georgia, she has been in perfect health, but believe it or not, last night we had to rush her to the hospital, and between 1 o'clock this morning and 2 o'clock this morning, we did not know if mother was going to live or die, but about 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, she came through, and she is fine. How many of you know the supernatural is indeed real? And my grandmother lived another decade of her life, and it was very important for her to live that decade because she was the matriarch of the family. She was the pillar in the house of the Lord. She was the anchor of that household, and it was not her time to die. She lived a long and healthy life, one filled with the Spirit of God. And so that dimension taught me something also that we should not be afraid of death. 
Let me share this with you. In Psalm 91, when it talks, here's another reference in the Psalms to angels. Listen to what it says. I believe it's verse 11. It says, God gives his angels charge over you over all your ways. Now, can you pronounce all like a southerner and drag it out, even those of you who are our northern friends, and he gives you charge over all of your ways. And that means the ways from the time now to the time that you breathe your very last breath, God is going to have the angel of the Lord there at your deathbed. You will not die alone. There God will take care of you even on your deathbed. Do you know that God does not want his people to be afraid of death? It is amazing how fearful God's people are about dying. Now, I don't mind dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens, you know. There's not a lot of good ways to die. Have, how many of you know there are not a lot of great ways to die? I keep a top ten list of ways I do not want to die in my prayer journal, and I hold them up to God and remind Him I don't want to be, number one, eaten by anything, and on down the list, you know. So... But one thing I do know about this is that the reason we don't need to be afraid is the Bible says, Oh, death, where is your fear or your sting? What power do you have over us? The writer Paul writes in Corinthians. Now, I'm, I'm sure all of you knew this. I did not know this till this year. I was studying the book of Hosea. And Paul does not come up with that passage on his own. Do you know that he is actually quoting the prophet Hosea, who about 750 years before Jesus said this, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Hosea, by the Spirit of God, prophesied about that, it's interesting that it was actualized through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it needs to be appropriated to us through faith as we lay hold of that promise. How many of you know that God wants your shoulders pulled back a spring in your step, a smile on your face because there is good news ahead of you and better news ahead of you because the, to the day you die, that will be graduation day and the angel of the Lord himself will be there for you. Hear the word of the Lord, God's people. The eye has not seen, neither has the ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God God has prepared for those who love him. Thousands of times better than anything you have ever experienced on this planet awaits you after you pass from this life to the next. Last summer, my wife and I went to Hawaii. It was her lifetime dream. We went to the beautiful little small island of Kauai where they make all the exotic movies. It was perfect weather, gorgeous. My cute little old Spanish wife, tears ran down her face. She said, I have been dreaming about this since I was 15 years old. 
And she was so elated. And that scripture came to my mind. After seeing Kauai, I want to tell you, don't be afraid of heaven if it's better than Kauai because it's a great, got to be a great place. And let me say this to you. God does not want his people to be afraid. As the hymn of the church is, there is a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar, for the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. The day came when it was time for my grandmother to go, a decade later, and by faith I could see that indeed the angels of the Lord were there and had taken her. Not only defense against fear, but offense as well. As we turn again to Psalm 35, verse 5 and 6, notice the offensive language, the language of going on offense, that the angel of the Lord will chase them. May the angel of the Lord pursue them. It has been said that the best defense is a good offense, and the angels of the Lord are indeed strong. Another reference in the Psalms is Psalm 103, verse 20. Hear this, bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. It is the part in that verse that says, excel in strength, that really stand out in my mind. I'm reminded of the passage of Sennacherib, who came up against Hezekiah. For some reason, someone this week asked me about Sennacherib. When did Sennacherib live? Well, Sennacherib lived around 701 B.C. He invaded Jerusalem. And he came within a hair's breadth of taking down the entire nation. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah prophesied this. He said that Sennacherib will return to his homeland and he will die in the house of his God. And indeed, Sennacherib did return to his homeland. And while he was praying to the God of Rezin, his two oldest sons came up beside him, one on his left and one on his right, and they executed their own father because he was promoting their baby brother, Esarhaddon, to the throne, and they thought it should go to one of them. The word of the Lord came to pass what Isaiah said. But before it came to pass, listen to what happened. As the people of God prayed, the Bible says that Sennacherib's army was virtually wiped out there in Jerusalem, not in Jerusalem, but in that region. Now, the Bible doesn't give a lot of details about it, but the Egyptian records, the Babylonian records, and others say that mice came into the camp. And some have wondered, was there some type of plague that wiped thousands of them off? The Bible doesn't say, but let me tell you what the Bible lets you look into the spiritual realm. It says, an angel, can all of you say an angel, struck his army. And whether the angel was involved with the mice or what, I don't know how it happened. But let me tell you something. 
if an angel can be involved to take down an army, they do indeed excel in strength. Would you agree with that? Now, let me give you one more reference from the psalm. Psalm 68, when it talks about the angels, it says this, there are thousands of them, thousands of them. And if an angel excels in strength, and there are thousands of them, and they are at the disposal of God for your defense and your family, and they are at the disposal of God for the offense against the enemy that would come against your family, let me say to you, that is good news. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, because that is indeed good news. Can you say amen to that? And so it is a powerful principle here on offense of the Scriptures. It's interesting that in 2 Kings chapter 6 is the story of the prophet Elisha. And the northern king comes and arrests Elijah and arrests his servants, and they bring them to Samaria. And as they bring them there, his servant is terrified. Indeed, he should have been terrified in the natural realm because they didn't play in those days. They did horrible things to people if they chose to do so. And yet, the prophet Elijah was very calm and relaxed and not fearful in the least bit. And he noticed his servant was very fearful. And so, the Bible says he prayed, God, open his eyes. And the next passage says, and the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw a host of angels around them and chariots. And those who were there were more than those who could have harmed him, and peace came to him. Oh, that God would open my eyes more, and God would open your eyes more. I tell you, we would be bold as a lion in our prayer life if we could see what is available to us. Can you say amen? There was a good friend of mine. His name was Mike Murray, and he pastored many years, a godly man, a powerful man. He's retired now, and he was pastoring a, a marvelous church in Cincinnati, Ohio, and he went on a missions trip to the Philippines, and uh, Pastor Dan prayed uh, for the Philippines tonight because, as some of you know, uh, the uh, radical end of Islam has done terrible things there in the Philippines. And Mike, Pastor Mike was in a very dangerous part of the Philippines where all of that takes place, where the radical Islamists had captured people, beheaded them, done terrible things. And it happened that every single one of pastor's elders, without calling each other or knowing about the others, all woke up at approximately the same time during the night and had an overwhelming burden for their pastor. And they got up and they prayed for about an hour until they felt peace about their pastor. Now, here's what happened. They were in one location, and the man that was with Pastor Murray said, Mike, I, I just feel we need to leave here. I can't explain it. I don't know of anything, but we have to leave now. And they got up and left at that very moment. 
it was precisely the same time frame that was going on in the U.S. on the other end. Now, here's what happened. The Islamists came to that location and killed everybody that was in that building that night. They went, Pastor Murray and the group, and went to a village and ministered to the village. As they ministered to the village, they, it was now daytime, they heard a commotion, and as they heard a commotion, they went back outside the village, and there were machine guns everywhere, dozens and dozens of them. I think it added up to almost 100 machine guns. So many that they loaded them up in the jeeps and took them to the authorities and turned the machine guns into the authorities. What happened was the group of Islamists surrounded the village and were going to kill the missionaries and those who were visiting, but they said that as they were about to do that, they saw beings that were about eight feet tall suddenly appear and started circling around the village, and it frightened them so much they dropped their weapons and took off running, and they left the weapons right there, and pastor's life was saved in that situation. I want you to know something. There is a dimension that God needs to open the eyes of our understanding that we would be enlightened. Paul prayed that over the church, and we need to pray that over the church because God says, I have given you all authority in heaven and on earth. And it is time that the church rose up and took authority over the evil ones, over our nation and over our children. Your children and your children's children and your children's children belong to the kingdom of light and God is going to translate them out of darkness into his marvelous light. Can you say amen? And God has not brought you into this nation for us to sit by and complain as if they, we had no authority or power to do anything. Yes, we should vote. Yes, we should do good citizenship. But let me say we should pray with the authority of the Holy Ghost inside of us. Can you say amen? There needs to be a Pentecostal revival of prayer and authority of what we have that is available to us. Can you say amen to this? Let me say this to you, God can move on nations, God can translate nations, God can do what no man can do. He can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask and think. And I say this to you, you believe God for your family, for your finances, for your health, for this nation. To my last breath, I defy the armies of the evil one and the uncircumcised because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Yes, a third of the host of heaven rebelled against God and followed Lucifer, but that means that two-thirds did not, and they are still with him. I'll take two-thirds over one-third any day of the week. Can you say amen? Let me say this to you. God is going to do great things through your prayer life, and faith comes through hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Amen. I done preached myself happy. I'm glad I came. Amen.
I want to read the word of the Lord to you. Is it all right if I pronounce a blessing? I come in the Spirit of God to pronounce a blessing over you. Do you mind if you just take a brief second? Let me just have you just close your eyes. And if you want to lift your hands and just receive this as if someone besides this little southern boy was reading this, as if he were reading it over your household and your children, your finances. Psalm 91, hear the word of the Lord, God's people. Hear the word of the Lord, Victory Church, and the blessing of the Lord over your pastor and team and these families in this marvelous church. That he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noontime. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand. Hear this, it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all of your ways. Can you say amen? And until the day you breathe your last and you step from this mortal to immortal and to this corruption takes on incorruption, to this which is finite takes on the eternal until that day the angels of the Lord will be with you and your eyes will see them and they will take you from this dimension to the next. Can you say amen? In Psalm 8 verse 5, I'm coming, I'm, I'm sliding home now. In Psalm 8 verse 5 it says, the Messiah will be better than angels. Jesus Christ is better than angels because he existed before them. And those things that were made, he played a role in that. And by him, all things are held together. And in Psalm 148, toward the end of the close of the canon of the Psalms, it says this, angels praise God and all of you hosts praise him. They praise the Lord. In the book of Revelation, I love the chapter, I believe it's chapter uh, 4 or 5 in Revelation, as the heavens are open and John gets just a little glimpse there. He says he sees a throne and there's a scroll in the right hand of him who sat on the throne and it was sealed with seven seals. And he heard a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who's worthy to open this scroll and to loose the seals thereof? And John said, no man in heaven nor on earth nor under the earth was found worthy to open the scroll 
or to even look on it. And John said, I began to weep because no man was worthy. But he said, one of the elders said unto me, weep not, John, for behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed. And John begins to talk about the praise that he erupts. And he says, they began to sing, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and honor and glory and blessing and praise. Now hear this. Then John says, and lo and behold, there were many angels round about the throne and the numbers of them were 10,000 times 10,000s and thousands upon thousands, and in a loud voice they began to proclaim, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and honor and glory and blessing and praise. Oh, oh. Do you understand why the rocks will cry out if we don't go ahead and praise Him? Can you just stand to your feet? And can everything that hath breath, I mean, I was raised as a little quiet, little Methodist boy. God bless the Methodists. How many of you folks are raised Methodists? You're the best people in the world. You really are. I want to hug everyone's neck. And you know, it's nice to be quiet, but there comes a time when everything that hath breath ought to praise the Lord. And this is one of those nights. All that is within you. The Bible says, clap your hands, all of you people, and shout unto God with a voice of trust. Thank God for his defense over your family. Thank God for the offense against the evil one. Thank God for revival that comes to your household and this city and this congregation and this nation. Thank you for our pastor and his team and this marvelous congregation. Thank you for our nation. And we refuse to bow our knee to the God of this world and let this nation go glibly into the dark. Father, we stand in the gap for our country and we ask that angels be released all throughout this nation that a mighty revival would come. And Lord, may all fear leave God's people. Those who have been tormented by fear tonight that are here, Lord, may that spirit of fear flee from them. May the angel of the Lord camp around them. And Lord, peace come to their household. And I ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Can you say amen? I'm going to ask you to do something real quick in just a second. I want you to find somebody you've never met and just t take one of them and say defense and offense and get another person and say defense and offense. It's available to you. Can you do that just for a minute? And I'm going to turn this over to Pastor Dan. Defense and offense. The angel of the Lord and camps around you. Pastor Dan, I'm going to turn that over to you. Amen. Do you feel like we heard from the Lord tonight? Amen. I want to invite our altar workers to come down to the altar right now. We certainly don't want to hear a message like this and not take action. If you're walking through something in your life,
first of all, if maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been struggling with that, you've been on that journey, and finally this is night, you think you're ready to make a decision. We want you to come down, want somebody to pray with you about that. If you've been battling something in your body, in your marriage, in your finances, with your children that just has not been broken, and you need tonight, you need God just to step in and do a miracle. I believe God has built our faith tonight that we can believe God for miracles. As the folks down here lay hands on you and agree in the name of Jesus, it's the name of Jesus that can make all the difference in the world. So we're going to sing a worship song. Just come on down. We're going to dismiss you in just a minute. We got to, we're a couple minutes ahead of time anyway. So just join us in worship. Come on down, and we're going to pray with you and believe God.